0: Well, that's kind of previewing our series, Challenge Accepted, Following the Way of the Servant King. And we're in a certain section in the book of Matthew. So if you have your Bible, please turn to Matthew chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible and you wish you did, raise your hand because we have one that we can give you and you can keep it if you want to. We want you reading your Bible regularly. So just raise your hand and they will hand a Bible to you right now. We had a young man that was going to camp. And so his mom said, let's get you a Bible. They went and bought him a Bible. And he goes, I'm going to read the whole Bible. She said, where are you going to start? And he looked at her kind of funny. He says, well, I'll start at the beginning, of course. Um, but uh, you know, we don't often read the Bible that way because there's kind of two major sections. There's the Old Testament and there's the New Testament. And the Old Testament is all before Jesus as it heads up to Jesus. Jesus is really the central figure of the, all of the scriptures. And uh, he shows up in the New Testament. So often in Christian churches, then we read a lot in the New Testament. But in the passage we're looking at today, Jesus draws a lot of references from the Old Testament and makes sure that they really are linked inseparably together. So uh, last week, uh, Pastor Derek was preaching. I thought he did a phenomenal job. I got to watch it on our website. And he said, without the cross, there is no Christ, there is no Christian, there is no church. And uh, the cross of Jesus Christ is central to his message. Jesus was headed towards Jerusalem. His disciples didn't really understand that. And uh, this uh, passage today probably didn't enlighten them in that regard at all, other than seeing Jesus for who he truly is. And the big idea today is that you need to live by the light that we find in God's word and be powered by God's Holy Spirit. And then to do what Jesus said, to make disciples of all nations. So what happens next in Matthew? Matthew, as we've been going through the different uh, passages, we have seen Jesus do miracle after miracle after miracle, more than 20 of them. But in Matthew 17, Jesus takes miracles to a whole new level. I mean, the disciples never saw this one coming. Jesus is in his full glory. And if you're following along in the outline, somebody kicked the L out of that word. And so it says gory, Jesus is in his full glory, but really it's his full glory. So please uh, do a little uh, spell check or spell correct for me there, would you please on point number one. So look at Matthew chapter 17, verse one. It says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Now, this would be shocking. They had never seen Jesus like this before. Jesus is transfigured, whatever that means. I mean, his face is shining like like you'd be looking right into the sunshine. He'd be radiant. You couldn't even look at him without your eyes watering. And, you know, there's a story similar to this in the Old Testament when God has Moses go to the top of Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments and he's talking with him. And then when Moses returns, it's recorded in Exodus 34, verse 29. It says, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone. They were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him like they had run away from him. And Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face." Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Jesus is having this experience where Moses was radiating the light uh, of the glory of God. Jesus is the glory of God. His face is shining like the sun. His clothes, the book of Mark tells us, were, became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And this really is a preview of heaven. I don't know if you've ever been driving or outside or where it's completely dark and then all of a sudden there's this pop of lightning and you could see everything and, 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 and uh, whatever you take in in just that flash, that uh, nanosecond, is, that's kind of this, that you and I are able to see, a peek into heaven, what would it be like? And here you have Jesus at the center of things, shining like the sun. And you have Peter and James and John with him, and uh, also he has Moses and Elijah with him. John, the one who's watching this who doesn't say anything in this story actually wrote the last book in the Bible and in the next to last chapter here's what he, he says as he's talking about heaven that he sees in his vision called the Revelation he says, I saw no temple in the city the new Jerusalem for its temple is the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb the Lamb is Jesus and the city has no need of sun or a moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp Is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will never be any night there. So, heaven is a real place, and it's where God resides. Heaven is God's home. And God has invited certain people. He said, whosoever will. But the people that he's going to have join him in his home is not everybody. He's going to have people who loved him and listened to him and obeyed him and asked him for forgiveness and served him and honored him with their lives. People who've lived by faith on this earth. Then they are invited to live with God forever in heaven. And the center of heaven is Jesus. Heaven is about a relationship with Jesus, and it's filled with recognizable people, like, like the two we see in this story who came from heaven with Jesus. I mean, these were people of faith who had been in love with God. The two people that Jesus brought together came from heaven to celebrate this moment with Jesus were Moses and Elijah. Now it's interesting to me to think who got didn't get invited to this little party? Didn't invite Adam and Eve? even though they were the first people he created. He didn't invite Sarah and, and Abraham, even though they were the, like the father and mother of the Jewish nation. He didn't invite King David, even though Jesus was going to sit on the, the throne of the King uh, David forever. He didn't invite Daniel or Isaiah or any of the other outstanding prophets. You have Moses... Moses was the leader God used to move his people from slavery in Egypt to freedom in the promised land. He's the author of the law, the first five books of the Bible, and he's the one God used to initiate the priesthood and the sacrificial system and uh, build the plans for the portable tabernacle so that God could have a home among his people. And Moses was a friend of God. They would speak together face to face as no one else has ever spoken with God. And then you have Elijah. He was the prophet among the prophets. He, he lived at a tough time, and he spoke for God when it was popular and when it was not. And most of his life, it was not. And he lived an austere life. In fact, he was often in, in, outside or in, in borrowed uh, home. People would take him into their homes. And he's talking, Jesus is talking with Moses and Elijah on pertinent topics, primarily about his going to Jerusalem to suffer and die. And of his departure from this world. So in that moment, suddenly, you know, Peter, James, and John see Jesus transfigured before them and his face is shining like the sun and his clothes are as white as light. Well, what would you do? Don't you think you'd be in shock? Don't you think the first thing you'd do is say, stop everything. We have to focus on the center of attention on Jesus. Let's worship Jesus along with Moses and Elijah. It's what it's going to be like in heaven. In Revelation 7, it says, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels standing around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. I've wondered, why did, Jesus shared this experience with Peter, James, and John. Why did they get to see it? Why did it even happen, in fact, on his way to Jerusalem? And I think it was to encourage Jesus as he's headed toward the cross. He was going to be carrying the sin of the world. He knew that he would be sacrificed there. And it's an encouragement. You You are the one in whom I delight, is what God is saying, and you are doing the most important thing in the world. And that is bringing them salvation. Also, I think he's connecting together with Moses. He has the law. With uh, Elijah, he has the prophets. With the J- Peter, James, and John, you've got the Gospels. You've got the future leaders of the church. Like, they're all going to be together in heaven, all celebrating Jesus. See, we think of Peter, James, and John as a long time ago because they were 2,000 years. Or Elijah, 25, 6700 years ago as even further. Or Moses, even beyond that, 3,300 years. But to Jesus, they're all present. They're all alive. They're all in relationship with him still. And Peter seemed startled. So he starts talking before he does any thinking, because that was his style, and kind of got his foot in his mouth once again, and it showed his limited human understanding. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is so good that we are here. If you wish, I'll make three tents for you, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Now, there was a feast in the Jewish calendar called the Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Booths. It was once a year, it was a week long, and people would live outside in shelters made from plants to remind them of the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And Peter's suggesting I could make three little shelters for each of you to be able to sit in the shade. And, you know, Peter... I guess we love him because he's so much like us sometimes and he's so transparent with human weakness and gets his foot in his mouth and speaks without thinking and says some of the dumbest stuff. And this is one of those. I mean, I got thinking what what should Peter have said? Well, what about what Isaiah said when he saw God in the temple and he realized, "Woe is me, I'm a sinful man. I am doomed." Or the one Jesus talked about as pleasing God who came to the temple saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Or these angels around the throne saying, worthy is the lamb to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. It's not about us. It's not about you. It's all about Jesus. Peter said, Lord, it's so good that we are here. Like he's the center of the universe. You're so lucky to have us, Jesus. I mean, you want me to do something for you, Jesus? You want us to build three little tents, one for each of you, so you could be in the shade? Listen, God didn't need Peter to do anything. He doesn't need you and me to do anything. He could do it all by himself. He chooses to invite us to help and to be his partners. But God, uh, he, Peter could have just said, God doesn't, isn't asking me to do anything. I just need to be in awe of Jesus. I'm seeing for him for who he truly is. And sometimes, you know, we say too much. Sometimes we do too much. How about just being still and enjoying Jesus. And and you could tell in the next verse, God is kind of irritated with Peter's blabbing. I mean, God interrupts Peter to get the focus back where it belongs, on Jesus. Look at verse 5. And he was still speaking when a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And I think there's a certain edge of irritation in God's voice as he said that to Peter. In other words, Peter, stop talking. Just listen to Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Now this cloud, there there were lots of instances in the Bible where God uses a cloud as a marker to indicate his presence or his activity. Just in the book of Exodus alone, where it's talking about the Exodus event of going from slavery to freedom, there are over 50 instances where God uses a cloud as the manifestation of his divine presence. Or, and God guided the people with a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. In fact, at one point, the children of Israel have left Egypt with Pharaoh's blessing, but he's changed his mind, and they're headed towards the Red Sea, and there's nowhere to go, and they got mountains on each side, and they got the army coming behind them to ravage them because Pharaoh had decided, nope, they're coming back, they're my slave labor, and right at the moment before they were going to be obliterated, God intervened by placing the cloud between the people and the army all night, protecting the people, God also met Moses on the top of Mount Sinai in the cloud to give him the law that we talked about and to give him, here's how you live life in a way that glorifies God. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever experienced a cloud or a fog in your life that you didn't know which way to go and you couldn't really see very far beyond, you know, your hand in front of your face? And did you take time to thank God for that cloud, that fog? Did you expect that God could work in your life in and through the fog that comes our way, because he can, and he does. I, I had a little example of this. this w- th- there's a sweet woman of God here in our church named Rose, and uh, she was going to be burying at sea on one day, her father and her sister. And she had just been so beautiful and so Jesus to them. Uh, I, actually, as we were going out of the harbor in a, about a 55-foot yacht, I prayed, Lord, do something that only you can do today. And it was whale watching time. So there were whale watching. You could see, it was an absolutely gorgeous day. You could see probably 15 whale watching boats. And we're going out a little ways. And we're seeing these boats and we're passing them. I'm thinking, well, maybe a whale could surface right by our boat or send up a spout. Or maybe some dolphins could jump or do a few flips or something. But we get out to the spot where we're going to put the ashes in the water. And we're, we're praying and we're sharing scripture. And then, you know, after you put them in the water, then the boat takes three big circles around as the ashes and the flowers spread out. Just as we prayed and shared scripture, I kid you not, it would have been an absolutely gorgeous day. You could see everywhere. But as we prayed, suddenly we were in fog. Completely fogged in. Could not see a thing. The boat captain, Mike, told me later, he says, I had to do the three circles all from the instrument panel very cautiously because all those whale-watching boats, who knows where they are? We couldn't see any of them. We don't know if it was just our boat. But all the way, three circles all the way around, we were completely in the fog. And as we headed our boat back towards Dana Point Harbor, it was back to complete sun. Now, you'd think, I'm just making it up, but you could ask Rose or the, the boat captain, Mike. And God was using that. Just uh, I, I think it was still the same, that God works through the cloud. And sometimes when we can't see what's happening, God's at work doing some of His best work. In the account we're looking at today here, Peter's blithering on about what he thinks he could do for God. God, it's so lucky you got us here. You know. And God overshadows him with this cloud and he says, This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Now this is the second time that God has said this exact phrase. Well, he added this time, listen to him. But the first time, do you remember when it was? At Jesus' baptism, right, in Matthew chapter 3, right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Now here he is further along in his ministry. He's beginning the final chapter where he's walking to Jerusalem to die for the sin of the world. And God once again says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. God is in love with Jesus. He, The Father is pleased with his son. And then God adds for Peter's benefit, listen to him. Listen, it's a lost art. I mean, to do that, you have to focus. You have to let go of, uh, you know, your own agenda, your own thoughts, your own mental preparation for what you're going to say next, you know, know, your own expectations, and just listen. It's hard work. It's valuable work. God says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. You can't listen well if you just want to talk. And you can't listen if you have your own agenda that you think is the most important thing to communicate. And you can't listen well... If you're in a hurry, you have to choose to listen. And when the disciples heard the voice of God, it says, verse 6, they fell on their faces. They were terrified. And then I wish we knew how long there was before the next verse. And then it says, but Jesus came and he touched them and saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Jesus touched them. And then he said, rise and have no fear. They lift up their eyes and they see nobody but Jesus. And, you know, this story is recorded in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke. Three different uh, books in the New Testament. And the Gospel of Luke ends the story right here. So... If you'd been part of this experience, if you had suddenly seen Jesus glorified and radiating, transfigured before your eyes, if you'd seen him just as shining as a lightning bolt and you'd listened to Jesus have conversation with Moses and Elijah, people that you had read about and had admired their work and their faith, and now suddenly you're getting to see them and to hear them. And Jesus, it, it, then suddenly there's this cloud and then there's Jesus only. And he taps you on the shoulder and he says, rise, have no fear. What would you want to ask Jesus next? Have you thought about that? If you were in this kind of experience, I mean, you've just had the experience of your life and you realize, wow, I'm still alive. That's, that by itself is amazing. What would you want to say to Jesus Where would be your focus? I think I'd want to say, wow, Jesus, how did you do that? That was absolutely spectacular. Do it again. Right? You, God, Jesus, obviously you are tapped into God's power. I heard God say he is so pleased with you. Why are you headed to Jerusalem to die? Or Jesus, how, how do we rise and have no fear? How do we live above the day-to-day, the earthly, the mundane, the trivial, the unimportant stuff that just consumes so much of our time and energy and attention in our lives? How do we live free from fear and be God's people? Jesus, is suffering just part of the Christian walk, the Christian experience? I mean, it sounds like God still intends for you to go to Jerusalem to suffer and die. How do you live free from fear how do I live my life in a way that I will hear God say, this is my beloved. I am so pleased with you. Now I think all of that would have been better stuff than what the disciples chose to talk about. Because instead of that, the disciples didn't ask any of those kind of questions. Instead, they got all mixed up, majoring on the minors. The disciples, in my view, focused on the wrong things. Look at verse 9. As they're coming down the mountain... Jesus commanded them, don't tell anybody the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And I think he said that because they didn't fully understand what they had just seen. And it would take kind of a while to process. And knowing Peter, especially, he thought, well, you get down there and start talking. People are going to ask questions. He's not going to know the answers. He's going to get this all botched up. And uh, I don't need all that extra attention and to be answering the questions myself. So he so said, don't tell anybody until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And then the disciples asked their burning question. Here it is, ready? Why do the scribes say the first Elijah must that first Elijah must come? You go, what? Because yeah, why did they ask, why did Elijah need to come first? So here's kind of what I think is happening here. They had read the scriptures, and they had taken certain uh, future predictions and said, here's what's going to happen, and we kind of know the order. And, you know, you have people that do that in our day as well. They read the Bible, they read the book of Revelation, and they say, here's how the world's going to end. And some of them have differing views, and they're even willing to fight over it, you know. And uh, uh, so they've got this view that Elijah was going to come back and prepare the way for the Messiah, and then the Messiah is going to come to save the world and that's all spelled out in the Old Testament. And here they've just had an experience where they know Jesus is God. They know he's the Messiah and he arrived first. And now Elijah showed up. And it doesn't fit with the interpretation of scripture that they have been accustomed to. So the disciples said, why do the scribes say that the first Eli- that first Elijah must come? And he answered, well, Elijah does come first and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come and they didn't recognize him but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. And then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. Oh, now I thought that he had already put this to rest because they had asked him, and he had explained after John the Baptist died, that John the Baptist was the Elijah who was promised to come. Maybe the three disciples, in their excitement, forgot all of that and they just said, Oh my goodness, here what we're seeing at our experience doesn't match what the scriptures said. How do we get these to match? And Jesus is saying it does match. Just trust the Lord and follow him. And uh, as you look back, you will see that it all fits together because John, instead of John the Baptist, He had come and he had called people to repentance and then Jesus had come and begun teaching and doing miracles and now it's obvious that Jesus is God, he's the Messiah and he's headed to Jerusalem to suffer and die. And so Jesus took the time to answer their questions even though they're not asking about the big events of the day. He's explained that Elijah has already come in the person of John the Baptist and he's prepared the way and that Jesus is the suffering Messiah. He's headed to Jerusalem to fulfill God's plan for his life. Jesus explained he's going to go and suffer as well, and they just need to keep following and trusting him. Now, we know the story. We know that they headed to Jerusalem. Jesus was intentionally there at a Passover, that he was uh, arrested, that he was abused, that he was put on uh, trial over and over and over until they figured out a way that they uh, killed him and they put put him on the cross, and he suffered and died on the cross. They killed him, and then three days later, he rose from the dead. We know that the disciples had a tough time through all of that Peter once again even though he had seen Jesus transfigured before him when asked by a servant girl at a fire. Do you know him? He quivered in fear and he said no, 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 I don't know. And he swore up and down I have never seen that guy before I don't know, have a clue who he is. But then he also was given an opportunity by Jesus to apologize publicly three times and to be restored to the disciples. He went on to be the disciple who uh, preached at Pentecost, and three thousand people became believers that day. So Peter still had his ups and downs, and eventually he chose to be a fully devoted follower of Christ and just to let go of all the rest of it and keep his eyes on Jesus. And he wrote two love letters, and in the second one, second Peter chapter one, here's what he says in verse 16. He said, "We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we were made known to you, the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ." We were eyewitnesses to his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. I saw him glorified by God. I heard God's voice say, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And he tells us in this passage, live by the light found in God's word. You can trust God's word and be powered by God's Holy Spirit. And to go fulfill what we call the Great Commission, the go make disciples of all nations. Go tell people about it. We've been encouraging you to make a list of five names of people you know and love that you could pray for. And uh, there are scriptures that are in today's uh, outline that you could look at. And uh, I would encourage you to commit those to memory so that you would have those in your heart and ready when you have a chance to talk to somebody and God can use His Word. But Peter is saying Jesus is the real deal. He is God. He died for us. He came back to life. I saw him transfigured. It's like I looked into heaven, and we are someday going to see him face to face. Do you know, I asked Paul Eshelman about the time that he and Kathy got to spend together this, uh, the week before she died. She died last Monday, the 18th. He says, well, last Thursday was Valentine's Day, and we had a Valentine's Day to remember. We went out to breakfast together. He goes, at, 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 at Starbucks. He said, that restaurant, that's everywhere. I said, McDonald's? He said, no, 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 Starbucks. <laughs> and then they did some window shopping, and they took a walk together, and they just enjoyed each other's company, and by lunchtime, they found themselves at In-N-Out Burger. <laughs> Pretty romantic. And... While they were getting their food, Kathy engaged another customer in conversation. He was from India and he was a Muslim, which most Indians are Hindu. And so pretty soon she's talking with him all about that, but she's guiding the conversation to talk about her the most important thing, about Jesus. And she shares her faith in Jesus Christ with this Muslim Indian at In N Out Burger. Now, when I heard this story, I was kind of touched because I've gone to In N Out Burger a lot of times. I've never thought when I walked through the door, who is in here who I can talk to Jesus about while I eat my burger and fries? Have you? You know what I'm saying? It's, I'm asking you to care, to, to, to talk to people about Jesus who you know and love. It, it, Kathy, it was her passion. She talked to people regularly, everywhere, about Jesus. She wanted them to know about Jesus because she knows Jesus is the only hope. And on the last day that she and Paul spent together, she's looking for other people, strangers, that she can say, you got to know about Jesus. That man happened to say that he goes to that restaurant every Friday at noon at lunch, and Paul said, I'm going to go back this Friday and say, that woman that talked to you about Jesus last week, she's in his presence in heaven today. Now, Kathy lived by the light found in God's Word, and she's powered by God's Holy Spirit, and she was passionate. People had to know about Jesus, and I'm sure when she stepped from here into heaven, she heard God say, Kathy, I love you. You had some terrible things happen in your childhood, and you had tremendous burdens and struggles getting past them, and you have overcome. You have served me. You have honored me. You have loved me your whole life. Welcome home. I am so pleased with you. And you know, that's exactly what you want to hear and exactly what I want to hear when we stand before him as well. So we need to take God's word seriously and to live by the light that's found in God's word and be powered by his Holy Spirit and be passionate about fulfilling his call to us to make disciples of all nations and to share Jesus Christ with people, shall we pray? Dear Jesus, you are the light. You are radiant. And you somehow put the dimmers on that to come and live in this world so that you could be a human being. But you are the light of life. You are going to be the light that lights up heaven And we are drawn to the light. Life comes from that light. And we want to live. And we want to live in your presence and to celebrate you, the King of kings and Lord of lords, our Savior and our God. And so may we please you with our lives and with our lips, with our conversations, with our passion. Help us to learn from Kathy and from the other disciples. Share Jesus and to celebrate you because you are awesome. We love you. Thank you for loving us. Amen.